0: Hello, and welcome to Talk STEAM to Me, a podcast by Spirax Sarco. We are the world's leaders in STEAM technology, offering the industry's most extensive range of products and services across a variety of industries. We create solutions that set the benchmark for STEAM-using organizations worldwide, working with you to improve productivity, save energy, and reduce waste.
1: Thanks for listening today to Episode 10 in our Talk STEAM to Me podcast series. In this episode, Spirex Arco steam experts Bill Harms and Andrew Lowe discuss some of the top ways you can improve safety and increase efficiency in your steam system. Steam system best practices and ways to improve sustainability are also discussed. The solutions mentioned in this episode can be tailored to your industry's needs. If you'd like to speak to your local steam expert, Get in touch today via our website at spyrexarco.com slash US.
0: Hello, and thank you for joining us today. Uh, my name is Andrew Lowe. I'm an application engineer here at Spirex Arco. Uh, so joining me today is going to be Bill Harms.
1: Yes, my name is Bill Harms. Thank you, Andrew. And I am a subject matter expert with Spirex Arco. All
0: right. Today we're going to be talking to you about the top ways to improve your steam system right now. Um, all these recommendations are made to keep your plant operating safely and efficiently to the right standards and industry practices. First, let's jump into it. Bill, what's the uh, first thing you could do to improve your steam system right now?
1: Well, as counterintuitive as it sounds, the first thing I would recommend doing for anybody who's interested in improving their system is install flow meters, A, to measure steam, B, to measure hot water, C, cold water, you can measure anything, any utility that you have flowing through a pipe, and that way you can establish a baseline for these flows. You can establish what's normal and what's not normal. And then when you make changes to your system, uh, energy savings measures, you can monitor how much you're improving your system, and you can also gain credibility with your boss by showing, yes, this project that you just, just implemented does actually improve the system, and maybe you get more money then for the next project, all right, and
0: this wouldn't only benefit for changes, but couldn't the uh, maintenance team benefit from this as well?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, once you establish that baseline and you see what the normal flows are, um say say a factory might be m- running multiple shifts, if the normal flow of steam is ten thousand pounds per hour, and all of a sudden the night shift is using twelve or thirteen thousand pounds per hour, something's up, something changed with the night shift, maybe. Maybe there's somebody who's not operating a machinery properly, maybe somebody's taking a break too often. Some something's happening and this gives you the ability to notice that and to look into it and make necessary changes. All right. And flow meters are kind of a rabbit hole of different types and
0: different applications. Uh if you'd like to know more, we have a dedicated podcast to so that one on our website. Um but following the vein of Steam Leaks, uh what else can we do to
1: try to find Steam Leaks? Well, probably the most obvious one is to do a steam trap survey. For those of you who aren't real familiar with steam traps, those are automatic valves that are designed to remove condensate from the steam system and shut in the presence of steam. So normally they would remove condensate and not allow any steam to pass through. If the steam trap is leaking steam, then that's an energy waste, and it should be identified as quickly as possible. So a steam trap survey we will give you all sorts of benefits, such as locating and identify your, identifying your trap population. But more importantly, we can determine which traps have failed and which ones need replacement. Now, I'm going to say this. Don't do a steam trap survey if you have no intention on replacing the steam trap. What's the point of going to that time and effort and money to find out which traps have failed if you're not going to act upon that information? So, again, a steam trap survey gives you information. You need to act on it. One thing that we also need to realize is if you're doing a manual survey, oftentimes those are done periodically, like maybe once a year. You can find a trap that's operating properly today and note it as such on your survey report, and tomorrow it could fail open. And that means it's going to fail in the open position for the better part of a year before it's realized that it is failed open. During that year, you can lose five, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars worth of energy through that one trap, depending on what type of trap it is, the pressure, so on and so forth. So, with that thought in mind, a better a better avenue to go down might be using real-time steam trap monitoring. This is typically electronic monitoring, with results being fed into a, a database, going to a dashboard, and Companies can see exactly what's happening with their trap system, and if there's a failure, whether the trap is failed open or closed, you can identify that immediately and take immediate action. So real-time steam trap monitoring is really the way to go. So much, in fact, that the state of California is mandating that real-time steam trap monitoring is being done uh, on new steam trap applications. right. And flow meters and... trap
0: monitors are kind of things that you have to monitor actively. Um, But the trap survey will also identify other areas for improvement, like um, something more passive, like insulation.
1: Yes, yes. As you're walking through the plant surveying your steam traps, oftentimes we would notice areas uh, of other possible improvements, such as uh, the need for insulation. It's amazing how much bare steam pipe there is out there in the world and and it's truly amazing because insulation is a very inexpensive way to quickly increase the efficiency of your plant. Um, and not only can the pipe be insulated, but other components in that pipeline can also be insulated, such as isolation valves, strainers, check valves, pressure regulators, uh temperature control valves. These can also be insulated as well. What about steam traps? Uh huh. steam traps. That's maybe the one thing in the steam system that you don't want to insulate. Typically, a trap needs to give off some heat in order to work properly. And if you insulate it, obviously it's not going to give off that heat. So as a steam trap manufacturer, we say as a general rule, don't insulate your steam traps. All right. And as well as keeping heat
0: in, insulation is good for safety, isn't it?
1: Oh, Yes, in fact, sometimes that's the reason people insulate. They don't really care about the energy. They care more about safety. Um, uh, You can insulate the steam piping so that even though the steam piping might be 350 or 400 degrees, on the outside of the insulation, it's 120 degrees or less. So it makes it very safe. Many times we actually get projects done with money from the safety guys not through the normal maintenance department or engineering or, or process departments. So safety is very, very key. All
0: right, and with those steam traps, they're still hot. Um If we can't insulate them, how can we protect people from touching them?
1: Oh, another good question. Yes, we don't wanna touch them. We don't wanna insulate them. So we put something like a wire mesh around them. We take expanded metal or wire cloth, whatever it is that you might have that's, that's uh, handy and useful and and basically uh prevent the the ability to touch the pipe or the trap and uh make it that much safer.
0: We can't always keep heat in our system with insulation. Um there are places where we just have to dump it. Uh what ways do we have to try to recover that heat?
1: Oh there's there's a lot of different ways in most plants where you can recover some heat. Uh in a steam plant you're gonna create heat in the boiler And then you're going to distribute that uh, steam heat through piping over to a point of usage. And there's various points along the way where there's heat being radiated off the piping or or blown out through a vent line or blown down through a drain valve where you can actually lose a lot of energy. So we talked about insulation already, but as far as the other uh, forms of heat that are not actually being used in the process, it could be something like, uh, the flue gas is off the boiler and that's one where oftentimes companies would put a economizer. If you're not familiar with the economizers, essentially it's a heat exchanger that takes the heat from the flue gas and puts it into a usable source of, uh, some, maybe something like boiler feed water. And if we heat up the boiler feed water, it's now warmer, it's hotter as it goes into the boiler and it makes the boiler work that much easier because the water is already preheated. Uh, Another form of heat that comes off the boiler is the blowdown. Whenever you blow down boiler water, you're blowing down a lot of heat with that water. And if we recover that heat, say, into the feed water again, uh, you're going to be that much more energy efficient. We see steam venting from various pipes on the roofs. These vents might be coming from a deaerator, from a condensate return tank, a process vessel. There's various... Reasons you might have steam venting from from a, a vent pipe on the roof, but you can recover that steam energy as well. Um, this all helps with your your company's sustainability goals. I've got a customer right now who's working on putting on a vent recovery system on their deaerator, and what it's going to do in the end, it's going to save three million gallons of water every year. Three million gallons of water, three billion with a B billion BTUs a year and over $42,000 of, of uh, just uh, energy and water costs. And even more importantly for the uh, plant manager, he's going to be able to save over 200 tons of CO2 each year. He's being mandated to reduce his uh, water and energy usage, but also to reduce his uh, amount of CO2 that he's putting into the environment. And this is going to help him out a great deal.
0: On the topic of sustainability, typically with the heat recovery, we, are dumping these things anyways, exhaust gas or dirty water. Um, but something mm-hmm. that may be even more beneficial for sustainability is recovering condensate.
1: Uh, oh, yes. 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 That's, that's key. We as a company's FireX has been pushing that for years and years. I've seen ads going back 75 years or we tell customers to return their condensate. Condensate is, of course, the byproduct of the condensed steam. Uh, when you pull the energy out of steam, it turns back into water, which we would also call condensate. Uh, bear in mind, when you have condensed steam, it's not just water, but it's treated water. At the boiler house, we clean the water up before it goes into the boiler, before it gets turned into steam. So if we're able to return condensate, we're returning clean water. You don't have to take city water and make it up uh with new untreated city water, spend the chemical uh, cost to clean it up. Um, so you're going to save quite a bit on that end. Plus, the condensate's got heat content, and we're going to save that energy as well. If we return the condensate, that usually means our sewer, sewage bill goes down because we're not putting the condensate down the drain. Uh, and we can't just put it down the drain. We have to manage it properly by tempering that hot condensate with some cold water so now we're adding more water costs to cool it down and we're adding water to it. So we're increasing our sewage costs. So it's a, it's like a double whammy. So returning the condensate is, is a much better way to go. I've, I've got a customer who actually has a broken condensate return pump right now. It's been broken for a number of months. And what he isn't realizing is that he's losing about a thousand pounds an hour of condensate that's just spilling onto the floor instead of returning it. This thousand pounds an hour. If he's able to return that, he'll save over $22,000 a year in water and energy costs. And, again, with the idea of sustainability and checking off that box, you're able to reduce CO2 emissions by over 85 tons a year. So that's a big deal, simply by fixing the compensate return pump. So uh, he's definitely hopping on that now that he sees the numbers.
0: He's also – Reducing a safety hazard there by, uh, not dumping condensate onto the floor anymore, isn't it?
1: Oh, that's right. Dumping that condensate on the floor means the floor is continuously wet. Anybody walking by has to act like they're walking on ice, which I suppose if it was cold, maybe it would be ice and, um, trying to prevent a slip and fall accident from happening. Those are, those are major insurance problems. And if we can avoid that, we're all much better off. And speaking of returning condensate, heat exchangers are kind of a unique case of
0: condensate return, and we have to use automatic pump traps. Um, Would they be beneficial,
1: to add? Oh, yes, yes. Automatic pump traps, also known as APTs, are are wonderful on heat exchangers. Um, I don't want to get real wonky and go into too much detail here, but suffice it to say that most heat exchangers are sized for the worst-case load, And most of the time, they don't operate on the worst-case load. And when it operates on some lighter load, then oftentimes, through a a variety of reasons, condensate tends to collect in the heat exchanger. It doesn't get drained out properly, and uh, the heat exchanger doesn't operate nearly as well as it could. It doesn't put out output temperatures in a stable fashion, and it also uh, leads to uh, decreased life on the heat exchanger itself. So using an APT on the heat exchanger can prevent that from happening. It enables the heat exchanger to work the way it should be working. And it's a, it's a great, great little addition. Um, if you're wondering exactly how these APTs on heat exchangers work and what the heat exchanger process is that allows it to go into this, uh, what we call stall condition, you can actually go on our YouTube channel, Spiroxarco USA and look for the word STALL, and there's some videos on that. So I recommend people who are interested to go check out that YouTube channel.
0: we have kind of given a good overview of a variety of topics. Are there any last-minute ones you could think of?
1: Yes, yes, one that we haven't spoken about that is very, very simple. It's inexpensive, it's maintenance-free, and that's a steam moisture separator. Steam, by definition, is a dry gas. If it's allowed to cool down, it gets moisture particles in there, which have not nearly the amount of energy as steam, so it's less energy efficient, but also it becomes, uh, makes the steam very erosive, not corrosive, but erosive. And as that steam with this erosive property goes through a PRV or a control valve or even a steam flow meter, it can erode away the valve head and seat area and create maintenance issues on that, on that product. So by using a steam moisture separator, we eliminate the moisture from the steam. It goes back to being a dry, clean gas and we don't have the erosion issues that we otherwise had. And
0: we really believe in this um recommendation. We back up the recommendation on our PRVs, don't we?
1: Yes, yes. We know that things that are going to kill that pressure regulator are, uh, in one case, uh, wet steam. So by putting a moisture separator on there, we actually, uh, double the warranty on the PRV. Okay. Overall, the PR, the, the moisture separators are going to increase the system reliability by, uh, making the, the products last that much longer. All right. I think that covers our
0: uh, top ways to improve your steam system right now. Um, thank you for joining us. Uh, feel free to reach out to your local sales engineer or contact us through our website spirexarco.com/us. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and join us again soon. If you have any questions about the content covered in this podcast, please reach out to us or your local Spyrex Sarko engineer at www.spirexsarko.com slash US. Follow Spyrex Sarko USA on LinkedIn and watch for future episodes
1: coming online soon.